UK Motor Talk at the Goodwood Festival of Speed 2021. Festival of Speed, day two, different. Wet this morning, very cloudy this afternoon and certainly a lot cooler than it was on Friday. A lot more people here. I noticed earlier we were sort of walking against the flow and the flow was substantial of people moving in one direction. I guess the most important thing is wherever you are, the quality of the show is as great as ever. Alex Albon is here, Daniel Ricciardo is here and um, I tell you, the smile on the honey badger's face is as, is as broad as ever. And um, he was somewhat in trepidation of the car he was about to go in, which was a rather early Senna McLaren. Suddenly he was uh, in something very historic. Next year, 2022, is going to see some fairly dramatic changes in the World Rally Championship regulations as they enter the hybrid era. And Ford and M Sport are very keen to make good progress with the new car. It's, it's based upon the Puma, although it's heavily modified version thereof. I asked Tim Jackson, senior engineer at M Sport, how their testing was going. It's our first time out in a kind of a public setting for the car. Um, so this is one of our test cars that we've been, been using. Uh, feedback from the testing on this, this brand new car has been really good as well. So yeah, testing in general is going good and, and here is going well too. It's a, a dual powered, so the actual, the internal combustion engine um, in the car is carried over from the, the current WRC cars that you okay. see. Uh, a lot of that was for, for cost saving. So whilst they're not the cheapest engine in the world, if you imagine that everyone's got to develop a whole new engine for Calgary, it's those development costs that you save by carrying over the same engine. So the internal combustion engine is the same. We've then got um, a hybrid unit in the car, which is the same for all the competitors. Uh, it adds a maximum of 100 kilowatts, um, and it's kind of done as a, as a boost on top of the internal combustion engine. Um, so obviously when you're kind of driving part throttle-wise, they're, they're mixing between the two, but when you're full throttle, you'll have full output from the internal combustion engine uh, and then the opportunity to have full output from that, that 100 kilowatts. Too. So in, in that respect it pretty much mirrors uh, an F1 car and, and, and it's, it's sort of power delivery. Yeah exactly and it's getting a blend of the, the power between the, the, the internal combustion engine and the hybrid where you know you improve the drivability and, and can make all the performance gains so yeah quite simple. I'm guessing this is still so very experimental you're not going to be going for times up the hill you're just letting it stretch its legs. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah. Of course, we hope that it's a fast car, but equally, it's the only one of this category here. Um, so, yeah, it's a good opportunity to show it to the public. Um, yeah, give a stretch of the legs and uh, yeah, gain a little bit of feedback too. I mean, for for rally cars, the, just the, the aerodynamics on these cars are really quite extraordinary now. Just in the last couple of years. Yeah, from the 2017 regulations, the FAA kind of took a bit of a step to give us some more freedom on the aerodynamics, um, which is great for performance, obviously, but it also adds to the, the visual aspect of the car, which I think kind of works from uh, from the public perception too. Um, so, yeah, this is um, the regulations for, for these cars, which will be first out in 2022. Is quite similar to, to the current WRC cars with an aim of making some of it a little bit cheaper so where we've got some of the extreme dive planes and things on the car you won't see those in the in the 2022 evolution um, but obviously we do work to try and get the aerodynamic performance to to be as close to, to that level as we can 
Mark Rushbrook, global head of Ford Performance. Yeah, a lot about what we do with Ford Performance Motorsports is about relevance of what we sell in the, in the showroom and our customers drive on the street and we need to be racing and competing in that same area. So we want to win races and championships that matter. We want to have the innovation and technical learning to go with that as well. The people development and then the marketing element of it as well. So. We have been trying for knowing about the electrification that we have coming on all of our road cars with mild hybrids, plug-in hybrids, full electric vehicles. We've wanted to compete somewhere with electrification. And looking at the different series that existed with hybrid or full electric and many that are still coming, we were really happy with what the FIA and WRC as the promoter put together as the new car for 2022. <coughs> Um, and then, as we always have partnered with, with M-Sport and the Rally World, you can't go racing or competing anywhere without great partners, great people. So obviously wanted to continue the relationship with M-Sport and the opportunity here to, to do a new car with new rules. Uh, Ford had influence with a technical working group to influence the new rules to give us the opportunity to compete with a Puma competitively. Uh, and to compete with hybrid competitively so that we can have the marketing story for the Puma and we can have the relevancy of the hybrid and technical learning, genuine technical learning that we'll get with that. And then obviously bringing in technical resources where we can to complement what Rich and Malcolm have. They're great at developing new cars. They've shown that time and time again. So we're excited about the development of this new car and being able to contribute where we can uh, with our company resources to make it a great winning car. Malcolm Wilson, owner of M Sport. Yeah, we wouldn't be here talking about this without the support of Ford. And that's for, that's for sure. And uh, of course, it's it's the first time in the history of uh, WRC that we're moving away from a production-based body shell. So it's complete lot of work again with the FIA and uh, all the all the teams in trying to get the safety side of it up to up to spec. So I think there's been a big uh, there'll be a big improvement in the safety side of. As well, it's the first time we've done a construction like this, but um, I'm really pleased with everything that the way that the guys have, have done that side, and then of course, it's, it's the first time for us for hybrid as well. So, uh, pleased to say that we've, we've been running the car now for roughly what three months, I think, uh, since we first rolled the car out. Um, I have to say, testing has gone really, really well. I'm very, very happy with, with progress made so far. And the, it's interesting that the, all the drivers that have driven the car, then they're very happy also. They've, they've got a great feeling about the chassis of the car, but uh, also the, the, the benefit of the hybrid as well, the extra, the extra boost. So it's, they're all uh, very happy as well. So at the moment, we can't really just we can't wait for Monte Carlo to start, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of um, discussion and debate about, and, and probably the, the messaging about the hybrid and how we were going to utilise it within Championship. Rich Milliner. Team principal of M Sport. It was maybe a little bit mi mixed or muddied, but for anyone who isn't up to speed, the, the hybrid will be predominantly used during the stages uh, in short bursts, and then a braking effort will regen that burst and you will use it throughout the stage. And effectively, your total battery voltage will, will drop over the course of the stage, and then the idea is the road section will recharge again. We were obviously a little unsure of what it was going to be like um, but every driver that's driven it is kind of now wanting it in this car that we currently have this year so that's always a positive if they're 
if they're looking for for extra. And when you think about it, you know, it's effectively 100 horsepower when you and you're getting another 100 horsepower where at the moment you're missing it. So if you're traction, if you're not traction limited, then it really is a big fill-in for what you've got at the moment. So it will be interesting to see how the drivers react. I think it will be a slightly different driving style. You're going to have to think a little bit about uh, using a boost because if you go onto the onto the brakes in the middle of one of your boosts, you will effectively lose it until you regen it again. So somebody who can utilize the whole boost especially when you're looking for let's say you're going into a long straight with a top speed that's gonna uh you know you need that top speed for like 800 meters straight for example if you've lost it previously because you braked even lightly compared to someone else who's managed to carry the speed through and not got rid of the boost it's going to be an advantage there so i think we're going to learn a lot uh, as we go along um, but then also i actually saw the car drive in ev mode for the first time here on uh, thursday morning and uh it, you know, instantly kind of resonated of some really fantastic opportunities we're going to have to show the hybrid element of it. And I think service parks or regroups within towns and cities are going to be perfect places to show that it's a hybrid vehicle as well. Um, and, you know, there's a lot we're going to have to work on as a championship to, to, give, to get the most from it. But I think the relevance of the technology we're putting in is is sensible it's a sensible step for rally because everyone knows how difficult it is to change rally and we don't we don't want to lose the noise we don't want to lose the atmosphere and you know we're reflecting the cars that are currently out there so i think it's a really exciting opportunity for us and it's now the responsibility of the teams and the, and the promoter to push that forward as best we can now you see all sorts of skills displayed here because you know these are professional drivers with numerous talents but I have to say, I haven't seen anybody reverse the car and hold the umbrella at the same time. You're clearly lacking a pit crew or you have exceptional skills. Well, Robert Blackmore. I didn't bring a pit crew today, um, so you might say I've got exceptional skills, although I'd... Uh, yeah. well, we'll, we'll let you live with that. Tell us about the car, sir. So this is a team car. This is known as uh, was chassis LM7. Uh, it was built in 1931 to compete at Le Mans, which it did. Um, it was then raced at Brooklands, did the double 12, uh, London to Exeter and London to Land's End trials. Um, it was sold by Aston Martin, it was bought by Mort Goodall, who was the founding member of the Aston Martin Owner Club. Um, he used it as his daily driver, he put a little luggage compartment in the back, and then he raced it at Le Mans in 1933, um, and at Brooklands many times as well. So, uh, restored in the uh, 68 to 70, and not... not restored since it's been uh, looked after but that's it um, it's even got the original um, pit decode on the uh, dashboard from 1931 astonishing I love the fact that it's not been over restored it's it's just wonderfully patinated absolutely and the, and the, the only person to have restored it was um, Inman Hunter who worked at the factory building this car so uh, astonishing absolutely amazing no no definitely not Okay, so you're going to take it nice and easy in the wet with a with a car as rare as this? Uh, moderately easy. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Karun, I know it's said that uh, F1 drivers are getting younger and younger, but bringing your son with you, who's two and a half, might be a bit young for a super license. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know. Who knows? But he's it's here to enjoy the day and get to see the race cars and enjoy the cars and and just you know catch up with friends and and just have a nice day. Really, that's what we're here for. So uh, yeah, this is uh, this is uh, the fun part of coming to Goodwood. 
everyone who's here, mechanics, drivers, engineers, fans, we're all here. We're here because we love the sport. We love the history of the sport, and we're here. We're here to celebrate that. Um, you know, there's lots of maestros here with Mario and Penske and um, people like that. And um, it is, you know, I love coming every year. Um, you know, I think Williams as a team, we we celebrate the heritage. It's a big part of it. We have a, a whole department of people who look after these cars very well and and do a great job restoring them because. We want to show off the heritage of the sport and the heritage of the team. The Duke has been saying for a long time, this is a family event. You've certainly brought the family with you. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I think you are probably the oldest car here this year. Possibly one of the youngest drivers in the oldest car. Felicity Collings. Yeah, apart from my brother who's 16. But yeah. Does he drive this as well? Yeah, he's driving it later. Oh, right. Let me tell people what it is. 1903 Mercedes, 60 horsepower. So this is 118 years old. The dawn of motorsports. And you're happy to drive it? No, no nervousness? No, it's actually a lot easier to drive than it looks. Um, and I've had lots of practice, so that's good. But it's quite heavy to steer. But apart from that, it's not that difficult. It's just for demonstration purposes, you're not attempting to compete or anything. You just want people to see the car. Yeah, not this year. Maybe next year, but but today it's just to see the car, yeah. It's one of the delights uh, that I found here. I mean, I've, I've been coming here since 93. Uh, to, to see the entire history of motorsport go past you is quite spectacular. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's such a great car. Do you enjoy the more modern cars as well? Yeah, they're not quite as exciting, but no, I do drive modern cars. It's oh, nice to hear that they're not as exciting as this. No, this is definitely the most fun to drive. I should drive this on the roads more often. My name is Dan Connell. I'm the Chief Communications Officer for Automobili Pininfarina. I've been keeping an eye on this, as it's, as it's, this project as it's been developing. You know, Pininfarina, one of the great legends of, of design both mechanical and particularly of bodywork design. This is a wonderful looking motor car, a very, very powerful electric vehicle. It is very powerful, but first and foremost, it is a beautiful Italian piece of art. And we are at Goodwood this year because uh, Goodwood for the first time is really embracing the electric revolution. And we from the start have recognised that people do want to uh, progress towards an electric vehicle. But perhaps for them, uh, some of the vehicles have been either a little bit too functional or perhaps something that doesn't inspire. When you talk Pininfarina, you talk about the most beautiful cars ever made. And that was part of the reason that just three years ago we launched this company, which now, under the name solely Pininfarina, is creating a range of luxury electric vehicles. We're very much uh, partners in, in, uh, in what we're doing. So Pininfarina SPA uh, is still based, still doing great things from its uh, hub in Cambiano in Italy. We now, Automobili Pininfarina, also have a design centre and manufacturing centre. That same space in which all of those famous one-off Ferraris were built historically, we have the people, the, the skills there, uh, ready to build Batista and production actually is beginning right now. So the customers, uh, the lucky customers if you like, that will get to drive this 2,000 horsepower uh, absolute weapon uh, they will be uh, receiving their cars before the end of this year. It is very limited. Hypercars generally are. That, that helps the investments that people are making in them become protected. And of course, when you buy a Pininfarina, uh, for example, if you were to go to any classic car auction and look at uh, what it would cost to acquire a, a Pininfarina-designed car, you'd be talking anywhere between 500,000 and 5 million uh, to acquire that. 
Now you've got the most cutting edge uh, hypercar in the world. This car, of which there will only be 150 made, starts at 2 million per piece. And you've already got a fairly full order book, I'm guessing. Very much so. Uh, we're very happy with the start of this. I think from, from the day one, people that have understood what Pininfarina stands for, which is the ultimate in Italian luxury grand touring, have really embraced the idea that now they can step into an electric car and they can embrace the fact that luxury is available without guilt. You have to remember that there are zero emissions uh, from this car. This is something that is very much future-facing in a package they already love. Well, wonderful. I'm, no doubt this is going to be very successful. How's the, the running up the hill been? Good? Well, actually, we were testing at the motor circuit here with, uh, with our customers just a couple of weeks ago. And I can say that with our new partner in London, uh, Automobili Pininfarina London, run by Jardine, uh, their customers have been very happy with how the cars perform. So I think in the UK, for those that do see it on the streets, uh, they'll see something pretty special. It'll be a rare sight. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So, really, we go from one extreme to the other. We've just uh, come off the uh, Pininfarina stand, two million pounds car. This is the Citroen Ami. Well, it's right at the other end of the, the budget spectrum. It's right at the other end of the power spectrum. And that's precisely why I wanted to come and have a look at it. I'm told there have been one or two being seen on the road. I haven't seen one personally yet. They are quite extraordinary. And uh, somebody appears to have pinched a bit off it already. Uh, or maybe that bit's been left out to illustrate the fact that it's essentially plastic and it's all plastic that's bolted together or stuck together and it's a two-seater. Think smart car and really, really interesting inside. Uh, again, it's, it's a car that you can sort of take it through a car wash and just open the doors and there's, there's nothing in there really to harm. It's, it's um, quite amazing. Whether it'll be a big seller here, I don't know, but I'm sure it'll sell more than the Pininfarina. One of the newest classes to arrive with the Goodwill Festival of Speed is, is the drifting class. Now, drifting is not particularly well known or understood yet in the UK. Tessa Whittock. I think it's the best of all motorsport, if I'm totally honest, and it's my personal opinion, of course. It's fast and you can go sideways. It's probably the element of circuit racing and rally driving, really. And it's the control of a car that you can have behind the wheel. And I actually own a drift academy now, and I have racing drivers come and have a go at it because they want some more feel out of the car because you've got to feel everything of what the car is doing. And if the car steps out, you need to learn how to control it. Your, your route into uh, any form of motorsport was quite unusual as well, I gather. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, it's, I mean, I'm not from a motorsport background. We'll wait for this uh, NASCAR to go past. NASCAR is always noisy. <laughs> yeah, would you like to run with open exhaust like that as well? Oh gosh, I think that would be far too loud. <laughs> We do like our loud cars, but that's left a little bit over the top. <laughs> we were saying your route is, is quite unusual into motorsport, but you suddenly grabbed it and, yes. and now you're multiple 
Drift Championship winner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've I've been all over Europe um, drifting, and my very first first time out, uh, I was third in the championship, which was amazing. And then following, yeah, we won and whatnot. So it was it was an incredible feat for myself and to actually prove myself, and then to go out there and actually have some sponsorship as well, and for Monster Energy to come on board as well as Team Driftworks, which is amazing feat for myself and. I want to be the person to go, you can get into motorsport, even if you're not from a family background with motorsport. And I think it's important that for people to understand that you can. If you want to do it, you have the passion, you just need to go out there and, and get what you want out of life. It's all about picking up on challenges and, and, and working hard at it. Exactly. Working hard is, is obviously the, the main thing in this in this business. But if you want to put the work in, you will definitely get the results. Have you found that sponsorship's a bit easier for you as a woman in, a, in, a, in an essentially male-dominated branch of the sport? In some respects, yes. But I've always been of the thoughts that you still need to go out there and prove yourself as a driver it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a guy and that's why I like to go and compete with the men as well because as soon as you put your helmet on you're just a driver at the end of the day and and basically if you're quick you're quick exactly certainly is (laughs) thank you I appreciate your time I didn't happen to notice you see that that um, you've got an MOT fail on the car because yeah, you've got a cracked windscreen. Yeah, just a tad. Yeah, we have a few bumps and things like that when we're twinning. Um, and, yeah, that sort of shifts things about and whatnot. But it's all good. I can still see just about. Uh, <laughs> what, I mean, is this easier for you? I mean, we've had quite heavy rain this morning. Mm. Does that make life easier for you or worse? or? How does it affect you? It actually makes it a lot worse because as much as you've got a lot of time to think about what you're doing taking a car sideways, you've got to think that you're drifting is an out controlling an out of control car in in essence. And because you then on that limit, you've then got to correct and recorrect yourself all of the time. And we've got all those utensils in the car to say like we've got our hydro handbrake that locks up the rear wheels, so you can check yourself at uh, those occasions and whatnot. But we prefer it dry, definitely. So and as well because it's much more of a spectacle sport and people thoroughly enjoy it because there's lots of smoke and we can show off basically. I discovered a number of years ago that one of the reasons the F1 teams all fit wet weather tyres, despite whatever the weather is here, they fit wet weather tyres. And I inquired of McLaren some years ago, why do you do that? (laughs) They make more smoke. Exactly that, exactly that. Because they're showmen anyway, aren't they? (laughs) That's what we are. Well, I think it's drying up, so it looks like you're going to better run this afternoon. Good luck and thank you for your time. No problem. Thank you again. Take care. Bye-bye. Sitting beside one of the most iconic Grand Prix cars, I think, of all time, in one of the most iconic liveries of all time, I think. This is the Emerson Fittipaldi car. Your name, sir? Hi there, I'm James Taylor from Car Magazine, and uh, yeah, looking after this today of Goodwood Hill. You are extraordinarily lucky to be in such a car, and you know that. I very much do, yeah. This is chassis number five. So this is the car Emerson Fittipaldi, first one of Grand Prix in 1970 and kept winning races all the way up to 1973. Uh, so of all the 72s, this is perhaps the one with the longest winning streak and perhaps the most significant. I mean, this was really the epitome of Grand Prix cars at that time. You know, it, it had everything on it, which is why it won numerous Grand Prix and numerous championships. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this car made so many advances. I mean, with the torsion bar suspension, the inboard radiators, the inboard brakes. It was so many leaps at one time, and uh, 
it's incredible really that, that it kept winning all the way through a whole half of a decade. A tribute really to the genius that was Colin Chapman. You know that, that he would he would just take these great leaps forward. I, I guess Adrian Newey is probably the modern equivalent of of he. Well, Adrian Newey, I think, was inspired by Colin Chapman because he, uh, he built a Tamiya model of a Lotus 49 as a, as a schoolboy and his dad built a Lotus Elan kit and uh, from reading his book it was um, seeing his dad do that and building that kit that you know laid the foundations of uh, race car design 101. Some people are very very lucky as you are in this car and some people have exceptional genius and, and those two certainly had that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think of all of the, the Team Lotus cars, perhaps the 72 is the one that, you know, really most typifies that creative engineering and looking to the future. Thank you. I'm not going to distract you anymore. I need you to see you prepare yourself mentally for this challenge. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Sally Mason Steering. This is the 166 Barquette. That's correct. Which you, I think, owned for a very, very long time. About 40 years, so it's a pretty scary amount of time. But it's one of those cars that you absolutely love, and it's, it's a very, I mean, I think with these very early Ferraris, the engine noise is so special. It's that lovely little yappy V12, and the tiny little pistons, it's very special. And, and I mean, there, there were so few of these built in the first place, yeah. and not too many of them left. Those that are left tend to be consigned to museums and don't get driven by people who enjoy driving them. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, and there's very few that have still got their original body. So we're, we're very lucky. It still has it. It's totally original. So that makes it even more special. Right, so. A lot of them got sort of Americanized and very over concourse. And it, to me, it should be like that. It should be a yeah. proper racing car. Yeah. Okay. Showing its pattern or an age and all the rest of it. A bit like me. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much for your time. Enjoy your last run up the hill for the day. Romain Dumas, uh, pretty much everything you've driven over the years. Long career. And the hill record holder here. Yeah, for sure. It's always a pleasure, you know, to come here. In Goodwood, uh, such a great atmosphere. On top of that, you know, after the last uh, one and a half year, <laughs> was for sure without spectator in motorsport it's a big pleasure to see so many people so many people with the same passion to enjoy see cars you know and uh, yeah it's, you know it's always a great great fun to be here this car is uh, the Glickenhaus car the car I will drive in Le Mans um, in, in, in two months for sure it's a new hypercar prototype the new category for Le Mans for the future so it's great that Mr. Glickenhaus bring his car here in Goodall like that uh, spectator can see this new rule uh, compare what I was used to drive for sure in Le Mans in, term on a, in LMB1. It's a more heavy, bigger car. For sure it's not a car done for Goodwood, we can say, compared to Volkswagen. But um, I, I guess it's great to, to show the car. And for us, you know, it's a start of, a, I mean, for Glicken now, the start of a new story. Yeah, it's very large and uh, for sure in terms of weight, it's more than one ton by the rule. Eh? So, uh, you know, we were used to driving Le Mans prototype between a 750 kilo to 900 kilo. So uh, this is more heavy, definitely. But at the end of the day, you know, the most important, I think, for Le Mans, it will be in two years' time that it will be a lot of manufacturer. Porsche is coming back with Audi, yeah. with Acura, you know, with Toyota, with Peugeot. And uh, for sure, Glickenhaus is an exceptional uh, case because, uh, you know, he's somewhere here. It's one guy who is passionate to create his own car. And it's not easy to see two fun people like that in motorsport. Well, uh, 
they are few and far between now. They were more common in that sort of era, the, the, you know, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and so on. That was a, a little more common. These days, the, 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 the sums you have to invest are so huge that they really are corporate investments. It's very good to hear that some of the uh, major players are coming back in. Yeah, you know, you need, uh, you need people like that. You need a big manufacturer also. Motorsport need, you know, the big brains at the end of the day to create, you know, stories. But uh, it's also nice to see a guy like Lickenhaus on the past. We had Robellion who was doing also crazy things. One guy with their own money to, to create cars, I think it's quite exceptional. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's a, it's a sport and a show. So we have to enjoy. Your name, sir, if I may. Jeremy Thompson. Jeremy, you're just about to drive up the hill in a, a really iconic car. Clearly the side panels have been left off as yeah. they originally were. The side panels were left off on a slightly nicer weather day, so, uh, sure, yeah. so but I think for the sake of originality, um, a bit of dampness I can deal with. I feel it's a real privilege every time I even sit in the car, never mind drive it. You know, it kind of reeks of history and, and amazing history. Uh, and I say, just a real privilege to be close to it and, and, and to get in it. Uh, an even greater privilege for me because it's not my car, it belongs to a very good friend of mine, and um, I'm very grateful that he entrusted it to me. So, um, uh, a real privilege to be on the hill today, and, and fantastic to be back at Goodwood. Fantastic. I was driven by Sterling a number of times over the years in, in different road cars and so on, and uh, he was such great company, such a great character. I mean, it was extraordinary, and I think he loved this car and um, uh, and loved the victory it represented or the victories it represented to him and uh, you certainly have one up on me having been in a car with him that's a privilege I would have uh, very much aspired to. I asked him once, we, we, we made a film for him some years yeah. ago uh, and I asked him once about taking side panels off he said well yeah, he said partly it was about the ventilation. He said, but it, it looks sexier. <laughs> well, that's true as well. And it's a, uh, you know, overall it's a pretty sexy car, isn't it, really? Because it, uh, it represents uh, all the kind of Lotus design principles in terms of simplicity and lightness. Uh, and by virtue of that, it's just an absolute delight to be in, a delight to drive. Uh, it's always very nice and one of the treats, I think, here at uh, Goodwood, that uh, they reunite you with cars from your... Relatively recent history. Oh, it's a long time. <laughs> I'm talking to Kenny Atchison, and we're beside the um, Sauber Mercedes. It was it was one of the sort of definitive Le Mans cars of its period, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean the the car Jochen won Le Mans 1989 uh, with the sister car, and then I was fortunate enough to be with Mario Baldi and Brancatelli in this car and uh, we finished runner-up so it was a Mercedes 1-2 it was the last year of the Le Mans without chicanes so of course in the race the Jaguars, Porsches, Toyota and this and ourselves there were, I think there were seven works teams you know in the car obviously this is Le Mans spec so in the race we were probably doing 385, 390k so it was a different challenge compared to normal uh, short track for for the better descriptive word so, uh, let, let me convert that number that's around 240 250 yeah, mph yeah 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 but that was only in the street obviously corners you a lot slower because you didn't have much time for us but it, it was it was good um yeah it was a, a nice year and group c was i think at its peak where porsche had for four or five years dominated they probably hadn't reinvested whereas other manufacturers come in and uh, low Porsche were still incredibly competitive and to be honest here Wallach and Stuck were probably the fastest car there that year but only managed to finish third because of mechanical problems. 
people forget sometimes it is a 24-hour race it is an endurance race yeah. and it ain't no damn good if you don't yeah. get there and yeah. you know Toyota had that experience yeah but you know I mean even 89 uh, I mean okay I got stuck in fifth gear for the last hour or so so it was just a matter of trundling around trying to finish second or hold on to second but that whole 24-hour race every driver in Jaguar and ourselves and the stuck Bob Wallach, who only drove it with the two of them, absolutely every stint you drove that like it was a Formula 3 race. It, there was no, you know, okay, you, you, people say, oh, you have to look after the car. Mercedes' job was to build the car that it would, you know, and, and so, you know, like in that race, I actually lost six kilos in weight. So that's how hard everybody drove. I was very fortunate to be part of that team in, in that era and really good people great co-drivers and um, yeah just even the memories are, are very very happy well enjoy taking back up the hill and being reunited yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's been 25 years since I drove a racing car so it's uh, yeah it's a bit to learn uh, but t- slow and steady it's like falling off a bike but yeah 25 years is a long time but uh, well, it's okay I, I, on Thursday I went up the hill and the guy behind caught me and I was because I didn't know where I was going you know Hopefully, hopefully I'm quick enough that I don't get caught in this. But no, it's good. It's, it's, it's great to be here. Duncan Pitaway, driving the 1911 Beast of Turin. I'm absolutely delighted that people love it. I never, I never, I'm always humbled and surprised about the reaction of guests. I know, I know, I'm used to it. I've been living with it for ten years. So, uh, but it's always. Even people who don't like cars love it. And it's the, probably the most unenvironmentally friendly car on the planet. Um, but no, it's lovely to drive. I've driven it a lot on the road. I, drive, I drove it 700 miles across France last year. Oh, you know, year before last because of COVID. Um, and it's just a super thing to drive. And, but in its day, it looks like a caricature of a car in a way. But in its day, it was really deadly serious. It was the first streamlined car. It was, a, it was the last of the era when they thought to put a big engine to, to go fast, you put a bigger engine in. To go fast, you put a bigger one in. This is as big as it got. So this is this is sort of aeroplane engine technology. No, 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 God, no, no. I mean, in 1910, the aeroplanes were rubbish. I mean, this is way ahead of aeroplane technology. 19, this is twice as fast as the fastest aeroplane in 1911. So, I mean, the aeroplanes were absolutely useless. They were string-bound things with no engines or very, weak, very sort of useless engines. This was cutting-edge as best as Fiat can do. It's 16 valve overhead cam, it's fully pressurized oil system, it's fully streamlined, it was designed to be the fastest thing on the planet. It was designed to beat car number 104, which was two years before, two years before had been the, the fastest car on the planet. But this, so this is 110 years old, this car, yeah. and still road drivable, and not permanently parked in a museum, which is so often the case. I think I always think that institutions, as much as they are good, they're the worst people who own these things. They're much better with enthusiasts, I went to the London Brighton Run, uh, the centenary of the London Brighton Run, and there were, in the 1896, there was a display of cars, all 1896 cars, and about half of them, when they all went to start off, drove away, the other half didn't, and all the ones that didn't move were all owned by museums, and all the ones that did were owned by enthusiasts, and I think that is a, is a, is a telling thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No starter motor, no modern electronics, no nothing. You swing the handle, there it goes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. The name is starting handle, it's in the, the cues in the name. Yeah. Thank so, you yeah. very much, John. Okay. Much appreciated. Okay. Good. It's nice to see real fans. We were standing admiring the car. It's a very, very pretty era for Le Mans cars and sports cars generally. Gary Pearson. 
it is that that sort of period when they're still pure-looking sports cars. Yeah. Um, and this is remarkable because it is, you know, it is the only Le Mans-winning car where the uh, the constructor and the driver are one and the same. So Jean Rondeau won the the, 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 the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1980 with this car. Yeah. You were saying that you were just about to drive it for the first time. Yes. Yeah. We'd never driven it. Tom Christensen drove it up the hill yesterday. But uh, he couldn't make it this afternoon because he's got uh, commitments with other cars. So, uh, sure, sure. so we've, we've prepared the car for this. So, um, yeah. So I'll jump in. It is difficult, and I think I think the um, you know the organisers here at Goodwood have done a phenomenal job of of getting the event going at all this year. Let alone let alone the spectacle that they put on because it, it does look fantastic. This is pretty special after you know after waiting 18 months for some for some decent motorsport and them to put something on like this and i think it's made it even more special the fact that it's now become a pilot event and i think very quickly within sort of like 36 hours of being here it feels normal again doesn't it it's, 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 it's a nice it's a nice little taste of what's to come hopefully the revival is just something else altogether and the members meeting us now it's not far behind it really is it <laughs> james woods James, we've uh, talked many times in this paddock and you've driven all kinds of things up and down the hill over the years. I've sat alongside you a couple of times and really enjoyed the experience. I think this is possibly one of the oldest things you've driven. T tell me a little bit about it. It's a wonderfully patinated car. Yes, it, it's lovely. It's a 1934 Alfa Romeo Tipo B or type oh, P3, um, which was originally a works Alfa Grand Prix car. Uh, and then uh, went to the US uh, to race Indy 500, which he did five times. Um, so the livery it's in at the moment is uh, from the Indy 500, Don Lee being a broadcast station in, in Indianapolis, um, who actually had a pit car radio fitted, so they had a live transmission during the 47 500. That was quite impressive technology for, the, for then, to be able to do that. I mean, it, 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 it's a wonderful looking car, and it has a wonderful history. I mean, this is one of the most successful Grand Prix cars of his day. Yes, that's right. Uh, uh, as a model, um, definitely, and and not quite sure the exact success it had with the factory. But for example, Nuvolari is famous works driver. Who, you know, particularly his 35 win in the German Grand Prix, beating the Silver Arrows. So, but until then, Alphas had dominated with the Monza and sports cars, Mille Miglia, Targa Florio, in Grand Prix racing, and then at Le Mans, where they won three, four times in a row with the similar engine, with the the, the, the base engine model. This is the final evolution of the 3.2 uh, supercharged. Well, it's, it's really quite extraordinary motor car. It's such a delight to see that it isn't in a museum; it is being driven. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, just really lucky that the Taylor, well, the late Hugh Taylor and his, his widow Jenny, who's here, um, asked me to drive some, several times. Uh, just magic to have it here. We've all heard the stories, we've all seen the videos, and the Rimac name has suddenly appeared as though out of nowhere. But you've been working on this project for quite some time. Introduce yourself, if you would, please, sir. So, hi, hello, my name is Miroslav Zanicevic. Um, I'm the test and development driver for Riemanns Automobili. Tell us a little bit about the vehicle. It, 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 say, the name has suddenly appeared, but it's had a huge amount of publicity, and everybody is stressing the power output of, of, of your product. Yeah, so the car is uh, fully electric, first of all. Um, we have four electric motors. We have 120 kilowatt hour battery, but that's the, the biggest battery in the, in the industry so far, at least in a supercar. But more importantly, we have 1,914 horsepower. So this makes it the uh, most powerful production car. 
and it's also the fastest production car in the world so, uh, at this moment because we are accelerating from 0 to 62 miles an hour in 1.85 seconds so just under two seconds we are accelerating all the way up to 258 kilometers an hour which is our top speed the range basically which everybody wants to know because it's an electric car on a single charge you can do 340 uh, miles I mean that's very very impressive not so very long ago when I first started driving EVs the typical range was 40 50 miles now the the, the batteries are much larger much more capable even in supercar mode, but I'm guessing you can't do both the range and the speed, or can you? I mean, what's what, what are the sort of trade-offs there? Yeah, you, you cannot cheat physics. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to, to move the car really quickly. Uh, so, in a spiritual way, if you're driving a car in a spiritual way, it's more more like uh, uh, 200 miles is, is a more, uh, let's say, realistic range. Um, but yeah, if you put it in range and if you really you know, want to do long distance travels, that's not a problem for this car. No, I, I referred earlier on to the fact that it's already achieved a tremendous amount of publicity and there have been one or two hiccups along the publicity, but that aside, I have little doubt that this is going to be a sales success. What sort of numbers are you going to produce of this? And I understand there's another car on the stocks coming further along. Yeah, so we are a young company, so we're still we're still developing. So this is our second car. Uh, first car was the Concept One, which we introduced in uh, Goodwood. Well, that was our first Goodwood Festival of Speed, uh, 2017, I believe. This is the second car, so this is the Rimac Nevera. We are going to produce this in 150 units. So the first car was produced only in eight units, but this car is, is let's say, more serious project. This car is going to be globally homologated, so for uh, China, US and Europe, European market. And yeah, of course, we're going to produce more cars. This is We're not going to stop on just on this one. And I'm guessing the order book for this is fairly full, but what's the price tag on that? It's around 2 million, so it starts with 2 million euros, um, then plus VAT and everything else. So People see the car, they like it, uh, and... As, like, as soon as they sit in the car and feel the acceleration and feel the performance, they can just, just cannot believe because everything in the car is bespoke, everything is done, uh, especially for this car. It's been designed interior, exterior and built in Croatia. All of the powertrain components, uh, everything was done under one roof. So it, it's, it's really a unique experience because it doesn't have any takeover parts. So there is no way that you can sit in the car and say, okay, this is from a Jaguar or this is from a um, Aston Martin or whatever. It's bespoke. Everything is like done from scratch for this car from a clean sheet of paper. That's sometimes a supercar's Achilles heel when you can recognize, you know, the switch gear came out of such and such and so on. And, and that really lets things down. Yeah, it's, it's not, not really the, the, the cheapest way to do a car, that's for sure. So, but we, we insisted on this and, and Matari Matsko is the founder of the company. This was one of his, the key points he wanted to, be, to, to put in the car. He had a vision of the car, how the car will look like, how the car should look like, how the car should perform, and he's really you know, pushing the envelope on, on, on every, every single segment. So we've done our infotainment system by ourselves, the powertrain, the battery, everything is done by ourselves, and we are really we're pushing the envelope of, of possibilities, what can be done. So we have all the systems from the car, logging all of the, of the, all of the signals, sending them to a cloud. So we have the M2M system, which uh, allows you to have telemetry data on your mobile phone or desktop computer anywhere in the world that you want. You can unlock the car, 
you can get the windows down, get the windows up, you can um, adjust your, your AC in the car, whatever you like, from another part of the world, basically, just by, you know, pushing a couple of, of buttons on your phone. So it's the car of the future. It's actually, you know, it's where we're helping also other manufacturers come electric. So this is not, we're not, you know, keeping it all for ourselves. So Rimac uh, Automobili is divided in two groups, basically. So one is Rimac Hypercars, the other one is Rimac Technology. Rimac Technology develops all the powertrain components, battery systems, everything for other manufacturers. So we are working with Aston Martin, we're working with Koenigsegg, we're working with Porsche. Presumably you're working with Bugatti as well. I gather there's just been a takeover. Yes, yes. That's, that's the future. That's the future for us and, and for them also. And, and the future that will protect the Bugatti brand and, and spin off some of this technology into that brand as well. Because that brand is well over 100 years old, of course. Yeah, we, we certainly hope so, because uh, both companies are bringing a lot of good to the table. Uh, it's going to be beneficial for both companies. Uh, we are well aware that we are a young company, uh, that we don't have as much experience as they do, especially in fit and finish business. We are there with, with the fit and finish, but we can learn so much from, from, from bigger manufacturers like, like uh, Bugatti. Uh, and from their perspective, of course, um, our, our like key businesses, they're going to, you know, reap benefits of that. So it's going to be exciting future. We live in interesting times, as they say. <laughs> well, I, I, I wish you well for the future. I think it's got a spectacular future. I've little doubt that you're going to sell all of the cars easily uh, because there are plenty of people in the world that can afford that sort of price tag. By the end of this year, we expect to have first, first customer deliveries. So. Excellent. Well, I wish you well with it. Thank you very much for your time. It's appreciated. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.